Our country is more divided than ever before, and not just between those who put pineapple on their pizza. There's members on both sides of the aisle uh, who are more interested in making noise than they are about governing. From the committee rooms to this floor, we commit to pursue the truth passionately. There's a mic right there. And that's a damn short walk. It's why people don't trust people like you, because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. We must all hang together, Benjamin Franklin said, or assuredly we will all hang separately. Previously on Dakota Town Hall. Just the facts, man. Well, let's, where's, where are we sitting at with Julie Fry Mueller? You know, they had testimony on both sides. They made a decision to censure her. It's not a laughing matter when a family member loses a pet and then that pet gets accidentally put into a news story. House Bill 1075, that's the food tax cut proposed by Governor Nome. House Bill 1043, property tax relief. House Bill 1137, sales tax that would lower 4.5% to 4 I would like to introduce Mr. Billy Sutton. Jake, did you bring someone else along? So we got Representative Caden Whitman today. According to Pat Powers from the Dakota War College, there's a possibility Senator Mike Brown might be coming back to run again for governor. Welcome to Dakota Town Hall, South Dakota's weekly political podcast. Back at it. It's every Friday. Welcome to the Dakota Town Hall, South Dakota's weekly premier political podcast. With me, as always, Mr. Noah Grebel. And Mr. Jake Schoenbeck, I'm Murdoch from the West River Contingent from uh, the Home Slice Group, and good afternoon, everybody. And uh, Jake, Jake, Jake is uh, uh, Jake is playing injured. Yep, playing my uh, Jordan flu game right now. A little <laughs> Jordan, sick. That was fun. That was a funny email I read. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jordan flu game. We have an interview later on. I don't want to give it too much away, but I was not able to attend because a I work a full time job, unlike these two. And B, I am a little worse for the wear. Yeah, you got mm-hmm. easy banker's hours. Calm down. Easy banker's hours, yeah. <laughs> Work from home today. <laughs> I noticed during COVID, everybody's handicap got better. Yeah, mine dropped a few. Yeah, I'm looking good out there right now. <laughs> Lee's still terrible, but I'm good. Is, is Lee golf? I, don't, I bet golf oh, yeah. Lee is a real frustrating what? proposition. You didn't know. Lee golf? My so my fun fact, time I'm asking for a fun fact, is that I am in the South Dakota Golf Hall of Fame. You and are. Technically, what? yeah. I mean, legitimately, our story is in the Golf Hall of Fame. Not me specifically or my dad specifically, but our story. Did a cat die like, on the golf course and it's like no, taxidermied no. somewhere in Watertown? <laughs> no. So in the, the summer of 2010, my dad and I golf every course in the state all in one summer. No kidding. 129 courses. That's pretty amazing. Who's the who's got the best course? Uh the best public course is Elkhorn Ridge. Okay. Uh, your spearfish. Yeah, that's Fantastic a good course. Fantastic course. Oh, who's yeah. got who's got I won't say it in a word who's got who what course needed the most improvement back in 2010? Maybe put it that way. Sorry, Eagle Butte, but Eagle Butte was awful. Yeah, uh, Eagle Butte like, not known for its great 18 holes. No, no, it's really not. Um we couldn't find half the course. You know what they got? In, you know what's badass in Eagle Butte is they've got that really cool skate park. Oh, I thought you meant the Taco Johns. I like the Taco Johns in Eagle Butte. I've never. I guess I can't say it's I've been to the Taco, Taco Johns, Johns yeah. in Eagle so Butte. We're at two twelve. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's do some hot topics. Where do you want to start, boys? I think we kick it off with the events of this afternoon. We saw House Bill eleven thirty three that went to the House for consideration, and what we ended up seeing was. It was close. I'll give it. It was close. But the bill to eliminate carbon pipelines from being considered as being able to use eminent domain passed through the House on a vote of 
40 to 28, I believe, to excuse. Em- so, eminent domain is the phrase of the week, it seems, as far as if you're following what laws are being sent through here and what's getting sent through committee. Yeah, they actually branded this week in the legislature. Or it was in the week. It was the day. They were calling Monday Pipeline Day. Pipeline I saw day. that headline somewhere. <laughs> they called it Pipeline Day uh, in House State Affairs. I don't. I mean, so I've gotten some texts about this. I thought the Pat's post on the on the uh, and examples in Iowa on Dakota War College are an interesting example. I can see both sides. It. Um, I guess I'll say it. I'll say this from the energy lobby. Um, it sure seemed like leadership was ready to be on the same page, and I get the impression that. Um, based on the landowners that showed up, they had to change their tune a little. And I think everybody had to, I think if it should feel, here's what, let me start it this way. It feels like to me that the, um, that the crew in pier had to readjust maybe what they thought they were going to do based on landowners showing up. That's what I heard. There was quite a few showing up on uh, Monday, right? No, is that correct? Like a ton of people showed up for testimony. I heard full room in house state affairs. And it was, if you listen to the testimony, it was brutal testimony. I mean, you had a lot. Um, there's not very many topics in peer, you know, that lead to tears in committee. There was tears in committee about this bill. Like there was people visibly upset as they went up and uh, said their piece about um, primarily House Bill 1133. And it got to the floor and it was... I would say it. I'm not shocked. I thought I, I thought if it whatever way it went, I thought it was going to be by a little bit more of a margin. 40 to 28 is pretty close. That you is know. close. Yeah. 40 to 28 is pretty it close is on close. something like this. Um, I, you know, I can go back and forth in this a little. If you, I don't know a ton about eminent domain, and I'm obviously not a not a rancher or a farmer landowner. But I, I generally have been led to believe by people who I trust on this that South Dakota has landowner protections that a lot of states don't have. I also think the downside of explosive growth, which is what South Dakota is certainly feeling. So like everything isn't free, right? This this gnome pushing we're open and and people moving to the hills because it's awesome and you can remote work and, and companies moving to Sioux Falls and all of the, these great things that happen aren't all free. And there's only so much land. I think we're in the beginning stages of what's probably a decade long conversation about how to responsibly grow our, our, and develop our communities because while we talk about workforce development, while we talk about infrastructure development, that that does tend to lead to pipelines and land developments and curb and gutters, and those are owned by farmers and ranchers. I mean, right now, I think for the Summit Carbon, six out of ten of the landowners they need are already signed on for it. Um, so you're making a law for four out of ten, right? I wow. mean, yeah, it's allowed for, and that's not that new. It is the loud. That's four. not new at all. So yeah. Um, I, I chatted with Colbeck about it, uh, Senator Steve Colbeck about it a little bit and kind of trying to get a better idea of what the real pros and cons were here. The way I see those six out of 10 have, have their, you know, opinions as well. They're going to make a lot of money off of this. They're going to retire off this money they're going to get from Summit Carbon. So not to mention, I don't like the idea of making bills when it's all about targeting one project. That's not good politics in my opinion. I'm going to echo what, I'm going to echo what Jake said on this. If you look at House Bill 1133 specifically, if you look at what the provision in the chapter was going to be, it originally was going to say 
notwithstanding of the provisions of this section, which would be allowing for eminent domain to be used, a company transporting carbon dioxide by pipeline is not a carbon carrier. Okay. I read that and I'm like, is it not hard to say that that bill is just kind of a middle finger to Summit Carbon? It's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. And I think, so they amended it, whatever. It got off the floor of the house. But I think- They can afford it. If you read- (laughs) If you read, um, if you read some of the headlines surrounding this deal, and you know you saw it in the Dakota Scout last week, right? Like the 800-pound gorilla, which is Minnehaha County. You know, let's not sit here. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that this is an evil corporate overlord stealing people's lands. Like the amount of money that these guys are getting paid is a big deal, right? And do I think that the landowners have a right to you know dispute this? Absolutely. But I also think the, the time to have this conversation was two years ago. This wasn't the time to have this conversation. Uh, I think yeah, there's I can, something about the I can rules hear that. The of the game. I, it just doesn't. The, it just doesn't feel right, Murdoch. Well, that's that's all I'm saying. It doesn't feel right. It it sounds exactly like Holstone. I mean, it's the exact same yes, thing. Where ex- as soon as you 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 didn't deal with it when it was first started happening, and when it's in your backyard, all of a sudden it's your problem. And everyone's got, everyone's got to fix it. And yes, I don't like that exactly. kind of politics. I think we should be looking forward. And, and Murdoch's right. This is going to be a 10-year conversation, and it's just the start of it. Well, and that's well, where – I guess that's where I circle back to. I don't really side one way or the other. I don't I don't think I have the depth or experience, nor have I sat in any committees to have an opinion on it. But I don't – I think it's – I, I think it's a little short-sighted to think one bill, one, one, one pipeline day – you know, I, I would much rather have three weeks of the session be about eminent domain than I would about transgendered and Julie Fry's, you know, lactation. So, like, it's at least on the dartboard of productivity for the session. This is way better politics to discuss eminent domain and things like in our state somewhere and actually advance people's interests rather than doing brain of BS, um, some senator said. Um, yeah. But next week, we're going to have we're going to have uh, Senator Steve Kolbeck and Senator Brett Hoffman on to discuss both this bill as well as Senator Brent Hoffman's uh, nuclear energy bill. Uh, sorry yeah, to interrupt really, you, Noah. Let's, let's table this for now. Let's get into energy a little bit more next week. I know we teased it on our last episode about getting into it this week, but uh, it just worked better to have it next week. So let's get into it there. We'll have uh, my senator, my senator, Senator Steve Colbeck from the Great District 2. Let me, I just want to wrap up. I want to wrap up the conversation around Summit Carbon, um, especially on the East River side, because uh, Jake brought up Holstone, right? We saw this opposition to the Holstone pork plant last year. I mean, it was just gross. Like, you saw what they did. It was like, ugh. But whatever the group that was running the ballot measure to stop Holstone. So here's what I propose in terms of a line of thought. You know, when you see Holstone you allow that plant to be built, right, the, the ballot measure failed, I think that proves that South Dakota voters, especially in the Sioux Falls, more East River area, not only on not only do they understand that we are an egg state but they are supportive of it you know they cut through all this stop the stink nonsense and they said no we are an egg state value-added agriculture is good for south dakota i don't know as an east river and person who just it, wants to just really re- i'm not just rewarding east river something. people like that as a rapid no i don't i think that was a really convoluted confusing election i thought both sides did a good job of making it hard to know what side you were on I think if you asked, if think if you framed a question like this to the people of Sioux Falls, you want pack and plant in your town, you get a resounding no. 
you're going to get one anyway. I don't know. You, you know, that's just going to, ha- it's just going to happen. But, <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know if the community, I think business owners and people who understand the economy get that, but I don't think that's the general public. I mean, it, I was shocked that that, uh, ballot measure failed. I, I thought it was going to pass. I wanted it to fail. And I think that goes to the point of, and I don't want to like quote Christy Noam here, but like we're open for business. Our people like being a free market economy. And so when it comes to regulating and clamping down on free business, we generally don't like that. And so I, I think this is the same thing. Like Noah's right. I think Noah's right too. <laughs> <laughs> Noah, did I hear something there? Convention of States? Uh, I believe that we did hear about Convention of States. Um, a little preface, if anyone doesn't know who Convention of States is, um, they had some pretty interesting postcards in the last primary section um, back last year in 2022. And it was was interesting, to say the least. Um, They dropped an alleged, I can't prove any of these numbers, but just talking to some people who would add it up and know roughly a million bucks in the last primary or more? Yeah, I'm looking at it. Yeah, well, yes, they spent, I don't know how much for sure, but they spent big money. Um, I mean, at least hundreds of thousands in the last, in the last month of the, of the last primary. And they had, they had four, they had four targets, including, um, he comes up on this podcast way too much, the Honorable Center from Watertown. I know that, I know Convention Estates had a little bit of fun with him. So I'm looking at it right now, actually. Uh, this convention of states deal it was deferred to the 41st day the only people who voted so deferring it to the 41st day um no votes were uh representative blair and ray felt and um yeah it just didn't make it out of committee so so we're it's all is it let me ask this is it are we already have we already heard from convention of states have we heard from i mean is it is it are we done are we is it is it done is it done for the session they already said in committee, be, but it's not done. No, they're going to be doing, I think, 10x on their uh, money spent in elections next oh, year. Oh, 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 let me back up a little. You're right. I, um, to back up what Jake said, the convention of states, after they kind of took a shellacking in this last round, said, well, you know what we need to do is spend 10 times the money. Um, yeah, because money will solve the problem. <laughs> so I, well, I, I guess I mean it this way. Are there any more conventions of states bills coming out of this session? No, I think we're done. Oh, I think that's well. about it. Um I catch venture states, and I mean this. I'm gonna start talking here, it's, and I'm gonna get a mailer because of this my next election. Um, because they're gonna, they're you're already, you're them, already on the list, you might as well. Just, I'm already on the list, yeah. yeah. But quote what Sarah Lee Shomack said if you think this is, this is a good idea, you got rocks in your head. Well, um, oh, let's back it up a little. I mean, because I'll make fun of this group too. The convention to states people are usually the same people from the Grinch movie who want to steal the who hash, they're just really not fun to hang around with. What what what? Let's take the personalities out of it. What does convention of states want? Basically, they want a to hold in our, in our in our constitution. There is an article that allows us to have a convention of states to pass constitutional amendments. Now, um, Noah, do you know the actual reason thing they actually want to change? Like, is it term limits? What is it yeah, exactly? It's, it's term limits, it's right? Congr- it's congressional term limits. Um, right. They've been so doing they, this for years. They, they want to they want to pass an amendment to get congressional term limits um, into our constitution. And so the idea is that if enough states, I want to say it's like two thirds or something, maybe it's 33, which probably is two thirds. I'm not good at math, I guess. To call for convention of states, then we'll have one and we, they could bring this uh, constitutional amendment forward. To be honest, it is a piece of constitutional law that's never been tested. 
and is on very shaky ground if it can actually work out. I mean, when you have that convention, anybody can bring up whatever laws they want. They can bring up anything they want to, to amend the Constitution to. It's really this really hokey little idea that I don't think has any legs. Yeah, I I gotta say, I'm, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the convention of states at all. I just it just seems dangerous. I mean, you put where does it? My question is, you look at all that and where does it stop? Right? You know, you get in there, like Jake said, we don't know what this looks like. There's no rules here. You want your Second Amendment rights gone, freedom of speech, right to privacy. I mean, and, and I'm not even trying to be scared, right? I mean, any of those could go. You could say they're establishing the rules. You can't touch them, but I think there's. I don't know, man. I think it's risky, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of my two cents there. It, it's like taking bottle rockets to the moon. You're not going to get there. Uh, you know, at 10 million bucks into district races into South Dakota into one, I mean, 10x is a hyperbole number, but let's say they, let's say a million dollars continually gets spread into the primary elections of South Dakota as a guy who's touching a lot of them across the state. Uh, that is a, that is a difference maker number. Um, it, especially when our primaries can generate candidates that are, you know, again, a part of the who hash contingent. Well, the issue is you need good candidates to be against you oh, to lose. Boy, boy, do and you. so if if the franchise needs good candidates and they generally speaking don't have those, um, that's why they weren't able to be successful in the last election. I mean, you can throw money at anything, but if you don't have a good candidate, you're not going to win. Let's go. <laughs> you guys hear about this golf cart bill? Can we talk about golf cart bill? Oh, I love talking about golf carts. Uh, I got to pull it up. It was, uh, I think it came from old, uh, old uh, I think it came from old Hermie Otten. Um, oh, T, South Dakota. Yeah, in T, uh, under his bill, golf carts would be allowed. Um, let's see. This is SB135. Um, this is from, by the way, last week. So I'm sure there's maybe an update on this you guys can find if you got LRC pulled open. Anyways, Highway Patrol spoke against it, but under his bill, golf carts would be allowed on the shoulder of the far right road. I'm naming this the get home faster from the country club law. <laughs> Can you get a Dewey on a golf cart? I think I was. That just, was my question. That was literally what I scanned it for to see like if there was any like, well, he's only had a couple pops. He could get home fine. <laughs> I mean, it depends. If you have five Coors Lights or five whiskeys, I mean, right. where's, the, where's the line there? And then if I you mean, you got to be careful on this, a two way street. If it's if if the golf cart's not legal on the street now, and you and you're pretty good friends with your hometown cop, you can kind of figure out this gray area. Now all of a sudden that thing's street legal. You're gonna have to have a meeting or two. Come on, Otten, what are you thinking? You can't take it on interstate still. So, I mean, <laughs> right. Well, thank goodness. Where? You can't get to a golf course from T South Dakota without taking an interstate. So I don't know what the idea is. And here. it's I've never been golfing in T South Dakota, but do you need a do you even need a cart? You, like I just assume they're still using old donkeys there. I think it's uh, cut off tees and jean shorts on the uh, T Country Club. <laughs> NASCAR jackets and and oh, what, are them, yeah. what are them dumb sunglasses you kids wear, Noah? Uh, I, pit I vipers. Pit vipers. Baker Cross the closest one. I think Baker okay, Crossing is the closest one there. Yeah, Baker Crossing is a good course, though. Like they, that's oh, actually it is. A pretty yeah. fun course. I, as, um, far, as far as I know, that I think the bill didn't go anywhere. I just, I thought, I oh, just. Oh, I know. I'm heartbroken. I'm looking at it, and it says deferred to the 41st day, and I'm like, no. I'm Come on, transportation committee. Drive it home from 
Westford Ho all the way back to the south side of Sioux Falls. I mean, come I gotta on. Ca- I got to cancel my Tesla golf cart order now, I guess. I think there should be, you know, let's do old school, do this how the, do this how the, do this how the suffragettes did it. You just, you just march them golf courses to pier. It's the, it's the, drive ten, them into a tundra. Yep, it's the 10,000 golf court march, everybody. Come on, Otten, you can do it. You think January 6th is bad? You see us with golf carts. <laughs> it's, it's like a real polo shirt version of January oh, 6th. Oh, yeah. Man, uh, you, can, you can smell them coming. Be the only, you can be doing practice checks right, down you know, to the second floor. Someone will be trying to get the, the geese out of the, out, of the, out of the new putting green that'll get set up. Somehow it'll be the only march that has shot girls. Okay, let's do... Uh, let's Let's do... How about three minutes of transgender nonsense just because that thing got passed and it's going to hit the desk? Well, yeah, it's no longer nonsense. It's going to be hitting the desk. Uh, Let's, what's the, what's the, the bill? What got passed and, and where uh, did it get House, Ten House Bill 1080 to – no, why don't you read the title? Well, I'll tell you right now. It was the Representative Bethany Soy's Help Not Harm Bill. Um, it went through – prohibit certain medical – and surgery, surgical interventions on minor patients. So Senate Health and Human Services um, got through 4-2, and then it got through 30-4 um, to four in the Senate, and I'm just checking. It looks like four, it was party really? lines. It was, it, was, it was party. I think it was party lines there. Who was, it? Who was excused? Okay, Clum was excused. Um, yeah, 30-4. to four, So, I think Josh Clum was putting new uh, colonels on the Corn Palace and Mitchell. That takes a long time to get them all up there. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, 1080 is embarrassing. I mean, this is another one of these deals. I'm telling you, man, I know I sound like a a blue dog when I talk about it, but Republicans need language that does not sound so tone deaf about this. This has no business being in peer. I mean, yeah, uh, I spoke to a couple senators. I don't want to name anybody, but basically the idea was we're done with this now. Let's just get it through here and be done with it. They don't want to talk about it. They want it out of the Senate, out of the House into the governor's desk and be done. Um, there's a lot of opposition from the hospitals on this and uh, didn't work out. There's it's just, yeah, it's, it's real. I mean, I know it's politics, but like when the experts come to peer and actually do the testimonials, they're not just there to waste everybody's time that it, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's just, an, it's, it's, it, I have as much faith in the Senate committee as I do in their ability to legislate crypto coin. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, uh, but you do have people like uh, Taylor Rayfeld, yep, who's a uh, nurse practitioner. Um, you have a lot of different people like that in the House and Senate that are health professionals. Well, and I do like that there is a small but mighty contingent that is at least uh, not necessarily. It's not about conceding ground. It's just about having the conversation to where it's not in a trench like World War One. Just get there. No one's got to agree or disagree on anything. Just get out of the trench. Get in the coffee I mean, shop. I was surprised. I thought if you look at previous years, when we talk about transgender bills or anything really uh, women's sports bill. Think about that. It was a lot, in my opinion, at least quieter this year. It um, is a lot. Quiet. I'll take that so far. I wouldn't yeah, say it's going to stay there, which uh, is interesting. I don't know what to make of that. Well, um, I guess I'd make it this way. It, I, quieter is just every. Well, let's just vote for it and get it over with and get it on our desk because it's going to be Noam's thing. That also just makes that quieter. So, like, that's not all. Mm-hmm. I hear you, but that's not altogether good on my end. No, I don't, I don't say that's good or bad. I'm just saying I have not heard as much 
discussion around it as we heard about the women's sports and stuff like that in previous years. I got so, do you think th- it's, I got, I'm thankful do you think for there's that. some contingent there though that's like and I'll just and I'm not even gonna play devil's advocate. I'm just thinking about it strategically, right? Let's say they're a little quieter about it and it's not as much, you know, rah rah. Do you think that's just them saying, you know, hey, look, we're not gonna try to start World War Three. We just wanna get this through. Yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe it's a thought, right? Maybe it's like, look, we're more focused about the bill than the noise around it. I don't I just trying to put myself into you know what I mean with their shoes might be there, but you, I don't know. You give me a long enough runway, I'm sure I can find a defense lawyer answer for a thirty to four vote, but like I shouldn't have to get a runway to defend my friends as much as I do on stuff like this. It's a real pain in the ass, guys. Yeah, I know. It's uh there's no fun in this discussion. That's a good way to put it. There isn't. And 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 I do think a, a a lessening, you know, it real seems like the party as a whole, it's nationwide, is gonna is gonna at least if they want to win, get out of this. Only the only thing Republicans super care about is what's in the pants and out of the pants kind of strategy, right? Yeah. Well, um, has, that, has that been three minutes? I think that's got to be right. Is that enough transgender? Yeah, I, yeah, I think we're out of time. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Eminent domain, convention of states, golf carts, and transgender stuff. That's a good thing we're bringing in these three people to give us. We need some heavy lifting on the next interview, Noah. Yeah, we really do. And I think we're bringing in, oh, I'm so excited. I know I say this every week, but I get more and more excited for some of these. And this one's going to be one of my favorites. Uh, We're bringing in three awesome legislators. I want to welcome to the program right now um, three friends of the program, Senators Sidney Davis and Aaron Tobin, as well as Representative and Assistant Majority Leader in the House, Taylor Rafel. You guys are going to love this segment, and it was even better because Jake was sick. So I would like to welcome three outstanding legislators to the program. We have Senators Sidney Davis and Tobin and Representative and Assistant House Majority Leader Rayfeld. How are you guys doing today? This is the first panel interview we've done, so let's see how this goes. This is goes. the first panel. So yeah, you guys coming back from a coming back from a long week, you know. But I wanna I wanna start I wanna start from a background perspective. You know, for the folks at home from around the state that might might not be in your district and might might not know you, um, you each wanna give just a little background about yourself. Um um, life outside of the legislature, why you, why you chose to run and things like that. Uh, we'd start with Sydney. Sure. Thanks, Noah. Um, I'm Sydney Davis. I currently am the senator for uh, District 17. I have a Burbank, South Dakota address, which is located in Clay County and communities in my district are Vermilion, uh, Elk Point, North Sioux City, Dakota Dunes. And so, uh, I previously served in the House. I was first elected in 2020, served a term in the House, uh, and then after redistricting, uh, things shook up a little bit, and our Senator uh, Art Rush was termed out and so decided to switch chambers and run for the Senate. I work full-time as a nurse anesthetist in healthcare. Taylor, why don't, why don't we go to you? Sounds good. I'm Taylor Rayfeld. I'm a representative out of District 14 in Sioux Falls. I'm in my second term. For my first term, I actually got interested in politics through my involvement with an initiative to update the Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist Scope of Practice. And when I went up to Pierre, what I realized is there wasn't a lot of people that really looked like me or had experiences like me. 
people that had different age demographics and not necessarily a representation of young families. And so I decided that it was important to run and I had a couple of mentors ask me to run. And so here I am today. I am serving as assistant majority leader in the House of Representatives, which is an elected position from my colleagues. I've really enjoyed that position. It has its challenges. It also has its great points. But so far, it's been nice because we've had at least some consensus in the House. We've tried to manage well and also be respectful of our colleagues. I think respect and decorum is probably one of the bigger things that we've really concentrated on, and it's been just fantastic. And I work for Mount Marty University, so I'm the assistant program director for the nurse anesthesia program there. And then I also am a contract provider providing anesthesia um, as a as what they call a locum. Thanks for having me today. Tobin, let's, let's go to you. Sure. My name's Erin Tobin. I represent District 21. That includes five counties, Tripp County, Gregory, Charles Mix, Douglas, and Aurora. And um, I am in my second term in the Senate. I was motivated to run after my legislature legislator wanted to get rid of childhood immunization requirements for the school kids. Went to a Cracker Barrel and started having a back and forth between my past legislator. And when I left that Cracker Barrel, a lot of individuals came to me and asked me to run against him. So I did. I also chair Senate Health and Human Services. And I come from an agricultural background. So I bring that to the Senate as well. I work as an independent contractor, as a nurse practitioner for Avera, and also with Horizon Health. I fill in wherever they need me in, in the rural hospitals um, that I can help serve. And yeah, I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm passionate about healthcare, obviously, passionate about behavioral health, and passionate about some of those agricultural things as well, hey, um, and property rights. Since we have nurses in the industry and understand the hiring process and understand the travel nurse situations... We hear a lot about workforce development as a generalized thing. How, what would you three say, having insight a lot of people in the peer wouldn't have, is uh, the best way to increase the nurse count to which everybody tells me can be at crisis levels? Well, I personally, this is Taylor, I personally believe that it starts with marketing. And what I mean by that is that I think nursing has now become different to the generations that are coming out of high school. And it's become less attractive because of what is perceived to be a nurse. I think historically, people were excited to be a nurse because people wanted to care for others. They wanted to have a profession that really helps them make a difference. And I'm not sure that that is as motivating as it used to be. I think there's not that the current generation doesn't care about that, but there are a lot of different opportunities for different career paths that allow you to stay home. There's a lot of different career paths that allow you to work only 25 hours a week and make the same amount as a nurse would make. And so I think we have to start incentivizing nursing differently. And part of that, I think, comes from changing the mentality of what hospital nursing looks like and how do we make sure that we can be a competitive profession that competes with the ability to stay home and work less hours. So I know that was a long answer and I'm sorry if I took too much time there, but I'll let Sydney and Aaron answer that as well. Yeah, I'll just bounce off of Taylor because we've had some of these discussions over a glass of wine. I think there's a lot of burnout. The nursing profession itself looks so different just because we have so many patients and we're keeping patients 
in the hospital uh, with many chronic diseases or struggling to get them into long-term care because we don't have the facilities that we need. And so everybody's taking on more patients. And when you take on more patients, you can't do the best job for each of them. And so you go home at the end of the day unfulfilled. And I think some of the healthcare systems and the employers need to look at, like Taylor said, ways that we can accommodate their schedule so that they can have more family time and ways that we can look at doing it different because the way we used to do it isn't working in the world we live in today. Yeah, Sydney here, I just wanted to kind of round out the conversation. I think Taylor and Aaron made some excellent points. I completely agree with them as well. And and I think the other component when we're starting to talk about our younger generation, that's really kind of talking about our students and our best and our brightest in South Dakota. And how do we keep them here to uh, take care of one another, you know, to take care of us as we get older, you know, the generations that'll come after them as well. And I think education is a huge component of that. Uh, it sounds really simple in, in theory, but supporting education efforts K through 12 into higher education. And I think we've got some great institutions in this state that I, I think continuing to support those efforts is, is important. I think, you know, supporting mental health efforts too, just broadly speaking, as we come out of a COVID crisis is, is going to be important for us to focus on too. Thanks for the info on all of that, guys. You know, that's something that we have, Doc, we've talked about this a lot this session, the whole idea of workforces and even for the housing deal, it's it's definitely a super interesting conversation that we've had going on the show for a while now. Um, I want to pivot to something a little different. This is something that I had seen and there is a prime sponsor of this on this call. So what I want to bring up is SJR you know, 505. This is one of those deals that you see all these ballot measures that come through, but this one did catch my eye. And I thought it was, I thought it was super interesting. And what it does for the folks at home is it, it proposes and submitted to the, to the voters of the next general election, an amendment to the constitution of state of South Dakota, updating references to certain office holders and persons. And to give a little background on that, I would love to kick it over to Senator Aaron Tobin, who is the prime sponsor. Yeah, you know, the governor in her state of the state address mentioned that um, she would like to possibly change the Constitution so it doesn't say he. And I found that very intriguing and very interesting. And I thought it would be a, a great thing to do when you we're as women, we go through a lot of our life looking at keys and and some of that stuff. And we don't think much about it. But when you really think about it, it it should maybe include us as well. Yeah, Uh yeah, it was a really, it was, it was interesting to hear about it for sure. And I look forward to seeing how that will, and how that will continue. I think the other, one of the other big topics this year was tax cuts this year. We've already seen tax cuts through the, I think it was the private employers one. Murdoch, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. What are you guys hearing on from a tax cut perspective and you know, what's that, what we've been asking previous guests that have come on the show is, you know, you don't have to, you know, obviously you guys are still waiting on info for it, but you know, in your mind looking, cause each of you come from, I would say very different districts. So when you're looking at these tax cut proposals, you know, what's for each of you, what's, what's kind of front of mind? Um, Sydney, let's, let's kick it to you on. Yeah. I think broadly speaking, there's an appetite to do some tax cuts. And I think that's a really exciting thing to be a part of given being, you know, on the selected position. And I, you know, I'm excited to vote for something 
you know, it's going to be, there's about three big proposals on the table. And I think it's going to be challenging for the legislature to find some consensus on that. Challenging. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, uh, it's going to be challenging to find some consensus on which tax cut proposal is going to be the best uh, one uh, moving forward. You know, for me, I I have concerns about, I love the idea of the food sales tax, except for the fact that I think it's going to be a little destabilizing as we as we move into a recession. Time will tell. There's still a lot of information that needs to be kind of brought forth. And, and that's kind of where I'm at on things. Yeah. And I will say, when you sit down in a caucus and talk through some of these things, and I last night talked to some of our behavioral health providers, um, the big three, they, in order to give them all a good raise, and try to maybe reach 100% Medicaid reimbursement rate, that is going to project, you know, around $153 million a year into the future. And so, you know, I just talked about how we don't have any long-term care, enough long-term care to send our patients out to. We want to keep our patients local in our rural areas. So we have to be really responsible in any tax cut to make sure that we're actually still able to thrive in the future so, you know, I live in Sioux Falls, which is probably more urban, well, definitely more urban than both Aaron and Sydney. And what I hear the most from my constituents on is their concern about property taxes. I mean, I probably get an email even, you know, over the last three years, probably every couple of weeks with somebody else that's concerned about their property taxes. And part of that is because I think our, our city taxes have gone up. So that also influences the way those property taxes are configured. But you know, that is probably where I will lean for advocacy, just because that's what I hear the most about for my district. Now, in terms of tax cuts overall, I think what people fail to forget is that our job as legislators is to think not just about now, not just about in two years, not just about in five years, what this looks like 10 and 20 and 30 years down the road, because we're planning and supposed to be stewards of money that impacts generations to come. And what my priority is, is to make sure that we're setting up our state to be successful for not just tomorrow, but for the next 30 years. And I firmly believe that if we cannot fairly provide reimbursement for our Medicaid providers, that we will not be able to do that. That we will not be able to be good stewards and good caretakers of people that we are constitutionally obligated to take care of. And so that is one of my priorities. I do think we need to get closer to that 100% mark for those Medicaid providers. And that will be a priority for me. And then also, I think we have to consider that we have some big spenders coming up. So although Medicaid expansion doesn't cost us much over the first couple of years, it is going to cost us money. And those numbers vary, but it could be 30 million all the way up to 65 million. And we don't know what that will look like yet. And so we have to be thinking about that as we go forward. I'd like to jump in. I heard I heard a couple of words make me want to go this way. I heard Medicaid fulfillment. I heard mental health crisis. I heard elder care crisis. So I'm going to use that as, a, I guess, an excuse to get you three to weigh in on this work requirement hubba baloo. <laughs> well, um Senator Steinhauer brought a bill last year that had a, he was trying to work in a work requirement, but I think in his research, he found that it might not be accepted federally. Um, so that's the same thing with what I believe is Representative Van Huysen's um, resolution. We would pass it possibly on the ballot 
and it would be there if it would be accepted federally. Um, I think there's some difficulty in actually the follow through with it, because how would you ever know that someone was able bodied? Thank you. You know, I've seen patients in the clinic and, you know, I'm working through disability paperwork and, and I'm not following them home. It's really, it's really going to be difficult to make that determination. And I don't really know how that process would work. That's more or less the answer I was looking for. Thank you. High five. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, anybody who wants that meaty primary audio clip, though, here's your here's your shot. I'm just going to echo what, what Aaron said. I thought she said it best. Um, that's all I got for you. I mean, reasonableness is nothing to be ashamed of. Historically speaking, and I'm not, not going to be the expert of all experts, but I can tell you this. Historically speaking, it's never gone that well when you tend to try to buck the trend of constitutional amendments, even if you think their votes were stupid. I will just say that I haven't heard any of the testimony surrounding it and the explanations of how it will work because it hasn't come to our side yet. But when I, at first glance, those are the questions that I have. How are we going to actually follow through with it? Yeah. And you know, this, the section one, 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 five waivers is what they're called federally. And from my research, you know, none of the States really got, a very long opportunity to implement these waivers and see what worked and what didn't work. So the unfortunate part is, you know, you're not going to have a whole lot of example on what really worked to go up, to go off of and create something from. But I think the emphasis on the testimony from at least from the house side is that, you know, this just gives the state the opportunity. It doesn't say that we have to, and it doesn't say that it has to look a certain way. So my, my expectation would be that we would create some parameters, if we so choose, and if the voters choose foremost, to create something that works for South Dakota. When you have a constitutional amendment, it's written the way it's written. You don't have an opportunity to put in amendments or change wording. And I'm not sure that we can accurately say that people understand that you could not have a work requirement or that a work requirement was or was not a part of it. So that, I'll leave it at that. You know, I'm going to, I think I'm going to echo Taylor's sentiments here and push back on Doc for the second week on this deal a little bit. Um, Taylor, I think you said it best. Will of the voters. You know, we've talked about this. And at the end of the day, you know, we are talking about Medicaid. We're talking about work requirements, yada, yada. I think if this is a conversation worth having, which generally I think it is a conversation worth having. Put it on the ballot and let's fight it on its merits. I think this is because this is an issue that affects so many people, the issue of Medicaid, this can, I I think it should go to the ballot. And I think I would echo a little bit of Taylor's sentiments on, you know, what does, what does that, what does Medicaid mean philosophically? You know, I, I, I think, yes, you, of course, would, have to help. Well, I would echo, oh, I'm not turned up, I'm sorry. I would echo Kevin Wooster or as, as much Kevin Wooster as I could muster and say, we just did. You know, well, then you know what? If we did, I don't think, you know, there shouldn't be, then there shouldn't be a problem having this on the ballot, then being able to have that discussion as well. Um, I can't wait to hear about this in Health and Human Services. Oh, I could just, uh, could you just hear the cracker <laughs> barrels on this one? Oh my God. The only thing that's worse than this is all the transgender nonsense. I will tell you though, people are very confused about this because they think if you pass that resolution, that it's an immediate work requirement. So it's not. It, this is a, something that is not even possible under the current administration. And so I think that's what the public needs to understand is that this is not tomorrow. This is not in July. This isn't even probably going to happen until there's a different administration years. in place. Yeah. So, you know, the sky is not falling yet. 
That's a fair note Taylor, to me. I, that, I can hear um, that because I've been bringing this up for a couple episodes now. I can kennel up on this a little. Um, well, I don't think, guys, I don't think anyone but Murdoch is going to try to have the last word on this deal. Uh, I don't think we're going to go anywhere on this. So That's our, that's our time. It, this was fun. Wants the last word on that again. This, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll let any of you three uh, have the last word, but I guess I, I'll certainly uh, high-five the three of you for, I'm, I'm, I'm just like Mr. Billy Sutton on this episode. I'd like to congratulate anybody who is involved with 1169. I think it's really important that Republicans start knowing how to speak this way without sounding like the the Salem witch burning crowd. And 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 my hats off because it's a it's a hard thing to talk about without a media getting fiery. And uh, and and I thought you guys did a nice job, Taylor. Specifically, you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's been a long process. I'll walk you through some of that. So Senator Tobin and Senator Davis and I. We started getting calls this summer um, as a result of the overturn of Roe v. Wade from doctors and providers that were concerned about how exactly best they can care for their patients and have some guidelines about what exactly the life of the mother means for an exemption under the current law. And from our research, what we found is that a lot of the law prior to Roe v. Wade was repealed because once that went into effect, all of the other laws had this repeal statute. So the prior law had given us some clarification on what that meant. And so we were simply trying to provide some clarification for providers and reemphasize to women in South Dakota that we understand and know that there are complex healthcare things that happen to women, I being one of them, when they're pregnant, and that we know and want to take care of them and want their providers to have clarification so they can have the best health care possible and that so their lives can be saved. And, you know, you'd think it would be a very simple process. What we found, and I'm sure that they'll echo my same sentiments, is that this was not a simple process. And getting the stakeholders to the table was, number one, a, a very difficult process. And then once we were at the table, it became an even more difficult process. So we went through multiple collaborative efforts. We went through multiple amendments. We went through multiple conversations with different people. And at the end, we just weren't able to get to a point of consensus. And without that consensus, I do not believe the bill would have been signed. And as you know, these issues are incredibly contentious. Um, Of anything that has any conversation around abortion tends to just, number one, make some people's skin crawl But number two, people just don't want to talk about it. And I'm sorry, but if you're listening, you're going to have to talk about it over the next couple of years. It's impossible for us to move forward in this state without having these conversations. And so I think a large part of what Senator Tobin and Senator Davis and I and our task will be over the next couple of years is to educate not just our colleagues, but the entire state on what these healthcare things mean and why it's important. This is Sydney. I, you know, Taylor and I, we've known each other a long time and I couldn't be more proud of my friend and the testimony she gave um, in a house health committee and uh, really just um, telling the story and telling it well about why we need to do this. You know, we were trying to pretty much reinstate language that defined what a life-saving emergency actually means for physicians and pregnant mothers that that language is in statute for the last 30 years and we based it off that and you know 
tried to bring in input from other stakeholders and you know, it just, uh, it's just really disheartening that we uh, couldn't get it across the finish line for moms, for patients, for in everyone involved. And I'll just summarize with, I truly believe people have the right to know what the law means and the way it stands now, people aren't sure. And that's not good policy. Those are good answers. I, I appreciate you guys, you know, wanting to talk about this. Like Taylor said, it's, it's not an easy thing to talk about but it's necessary conversations to move forward as a state. This is now the state's job. This is now the policymakers in the state to, this is part of our responsibility and what we're elected to do. And that's why we're trying to listen to constituents and trying to listen to folks in the healthcare industry that have come to us with questions. And we're just trying to find that clarification for them. I thought Senator Tobin said it well, that people deserve to know what the law means. And this it's all we're trying to do. And we can care about babies and we can have humanity in the process. We can do both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. <laughs> flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted. Well, you know, I want to thank all three of you. Everything that you three do for South Dakota, it is, to be blunt, you know, 60, 70 years ago, you know, the legislature we have now, you know, that is, this is not what it would look like back when. Way back in the day, seeing seeing you three and seeing other great female leaders in South Dakota really step up, really take the initiative on a lot of important issues. I would fight it to the death with anyone that South Dakota is absolutely better because you three are in peer. I want to thank each and every oh, one of you, you for agree. the great service that Thanks. you do. You all three are awesome. I will say, though, that at least on this call, I know that I still think Senator Tobin is, I think she has the best fantasy football league of anyone on here. <laughs> yeah, I rocked it, didn't I? She is she, the champ. She is I the studied, champ. She's I the fantasy football champ. Thank you. Thank you all three for what you do for the state of South Dakota. For all the folks back home, this is Representative Taylor Rayfeld, Senator Aaron Tobin, and Senator Sidney Davis. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, ladies. Have a great day. Thanks, Thank guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to uh, those guests, uh, you know, the, the growing leaders in the Republican Party, uh, a fresher tone of, of Republicans. Um, you, you don't, that's less surprising out of East River. You see more of that. You don't see a lot of that West. We need more of those candidates like that West River. We have Jess Olson. She, she picks, a, picks up that charge is, pretty hard. Is Phil Jensen not fresh? <laughs> Phil Jensen, your, your friend Phil Jensen. I got, I, you know, I'll tell a quick story about Phil Jensen and uh, me, my sure. first interaction with him. I don't know if I want to go to story time quick, but back when I was 18 years old, freshly graduated from high school, I was uh, a delegate to the state convention in Rapid, um, you know, Phil's turf, and uh, I was on the platform committee, and a bill came up about contraception and whether or not uh, Republicans should be against contraception in schools. I was in favor of it because I had seen enough of my classmates get pregnant. I was like, yeah, we should have it. I, we have that vote. I get a piece of rationale because we're taking a break. Phil goes up to me with some like random books. Like, come look at this book right here. They're saying they're giving kids condoms in fourth grade. I'm like, what? And I just like, no. And I walked away. Yeah. <laughs> no. There's a, no. I was, there's, I'm 18, dude. No. I, I know what's going on. I was just there. I, mean, I just graduated high school. There's a wild Google search train ride you can take on Mr. Jensen. I, like, I feel like, you know, I've, I've been guilty of maybe just being a little too fiery on this people and, 
A better strategy is just a point blank, just simply roll tape and Google it and form your own opinion. And you know, nine times out of ten, it's working out. Okay, boys, what do uh, what? Oh, oh, I, I have a quick question for you guys. Yeah, a little little fun topic. If you could have one bill introduced this year, what would it be? That's a great question. Anything? What's your druthers? This is okay. I this is not. It's not very. It's not. It's very practical for for where we are in West River. I I, I find the state has a fundamental at times misunderstanding of how big the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally is and like how to like how to really properly put data into the numbers of how big it is and how what kind of economic impact it has and 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 there's a lot of different departments that all kind of control it because of transportation blah blah blah. I'd I'd pass a law to get my arms around that. I know that's so silly. It's not even that cool. It's it kind of uh, it doesn't even affect anybody. It's a process issue. It's, yeah, you just want analytics. Is that, that that's all you want? Analytics. I, I just, yeah, just a better under like a better control of the of the data and interagency communication for one you specific want thing. Metrics? It'd be you want. so that's easy to do, and it just seems so hard. Oh my so god, hard. you guys are so boring. My I know. Wow. Yeah, I'm going wow, back. I'm going, I'm going back to home. first lady. I want to be the first gentleman. I want to oh, be the first gentleman okay. for fifty years. I'm going to go, we're going to get kind of on a Joe Rogan path here, but I think, I took a month. and this is actually, is this even just like a bill I want, right? Like it's actually something I do believe in. If I could introduce one piece of legislation, I still think, and you know, personal bias, right? I don't think that there's any reason that the drinking age needs to be 21. Oh boy, that's a twenty. I, that's a, that's a young man's answer. Yep, that's a twenty-year-old. That, that is a young man's sure. answer. Oh, you sound yeah. like you know. There's a this this famous video that's floating back on around a meme about the people from the seventies when the when the like they were recording hillbillies drinking in their car and what I've their reaction this. was when they couldn't drink in their car anymore. That's what you. That's what you sound what, like. What do you mean? What I, I what, can't I believe the federal go government's ride? gonna make me not drink my liquor. No, I actually I actually do agree with Noah. I think it should be nineteen. I'm actually with him on that. Here's a um, wild one. It's actually one. not a state law. It's actually it's actually tied to federal funding for highways. Highway federal money. Um, yeah, we were one yeah, of the last so states. Not going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. Okay, how about this for a wild one? I think once every seven years, the state should have one and only one open primary, like a gutter washing open <laughs> primary, and you and you get rid of these hard left, hard right closed primaries where only dipshits win. And, but you only do it. You do it once every seven years. Every seven years. That's that's an odd clock. Every seven. This is so unwell thought of that I can't even put it on. A no, I think this it'd is be, genius. It'd be fun to watch. Every seven years. This is. You look at look at district. Look at look at the just the West River districts. You could really shake up and clean. 30, 35, 33. You could get up into into Liz May territory and see if see if the you know. I'm not saying, and if they win, right on, they win. Good job. Every February 29th or something, Every, like you have leap an year, right? It's like it's just ah, a ah. gutter washing. You gutter wash out the ding dongs because they can't hold up to an open primary one time. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> um, I know so, this is awesome. Be if I was 20, I'd be, I'd be. If I was 19 years old, I'd be. I can fight. I'm sure I said it. I can fight in a war, but I can't no, drink a beer. I know I said that at your age. Noah showed Look. his cards there right away. A self-serving politician. He's like, I know what I want. I want to drink I, at 19. I want to go to the crowbar in my golf cart. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, here's all I'm saying. I'm going to Mexico next week. I should not have to leave the country to go have. A cigar and a I just, I love your spirit, young man. So it assuming, but this is a like. Here's the deal, and I'm it, like, I know we're going too deep on the rabbit hole, but why 21? 
I don't get it, right? Like, it is the the fact that you can, and I'll say it, I'll say it because I think I, I really do believe it to be true. The fact that you can fight in a war, take out student loans, you can't, but you can't smoke a cigarette or drink a beer is by far one of the stupidest things in America. And you can society. buy lottery tickets. You can, like, waste your Wait, money it, on. Is it 21 to buy tobacco? Oh, yeah. yeah that, it, they it's 21, it. it's yeah. 21 to buy tobacco. I'll, make, wow, I, I'll tell you what. Wow. As the old geezer wow, what, in what the room. Good, what a good non-tobacco smoker right here, by the way. I didn't man, know that. God, you're such a boring Catholic, Jake. <laughs> hey, no, I'll make you a deal. If all of you young kids will trade in your dopey-looking, cloud-blowing contraptions... If you'll if you'll all trade them in, I'll let you all have beers. That's an honest. That's a, I'd make that trade tomorrow. Do I, I sound? Like that sound real okay, boomer. That's a real okay, boomer line. Okay, boomer. Yeah. Okay, boomer. Next week on Dakota Town Hall. What do we got next week, boys? I'm looking forward to having on both Senator Steve Kolbeck and Senator Brent Hoffman. Like, we're going to talk nuclear energy. We're going to talk about nukes. a little bit. I'd really like, since Kolbeck's coming on, I'd really like to spend a lot of time explaining where our state is with energy, every manning it so people can understand it. For Jake and Noah, I'm Murdoch. This is Dakota Town Hall. Thanks for listening. Dakota Town Hall, South Dakota's weekly podcast. Episodes available every Friday. For more information or to request availability, please go to dakotatownhall.com. Dakota Town Hall is presented in partnership with Home Slice Audio, produced by Leslie Klein. Music and audio production by Oakley Tai. Research by Home Slice Audio and Dakota Town Hall. Graphics by Timmy Grablander. Social media content by Scout Wheeler. And website design by Trey Wynn. Editorial advisor and executive producer, Brad Murdoch-Jurgensen. Special thanks to all of our weekly guests. While we try to be accurate with all of our information, this show is recorded live and errors may happen. For corrections, please visit dakotatownhall.com. Hosted by Noah Grebel, Jake Schoenbeck, and Brad Murdoch-Jurgensen. Dakota Town Hall, another Home Slice audio production.